Empire of the Sun. Suns. Empire of the Suns. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Wet like on book. Arizona Sports presents the Empire of the Suns podcast. Empire of the Suns. Hello there and welcome to another edition of the Empire of the Suns podcast. My name is Kel Nelson, joined as always by Kevin Zimmerman. I always stick with the same verbiage every time on the intro so I don't screw it up. I went a little different That was there. different. Got, I was wondering. Got a little mixy, a little bit interesting. Getting you know? crazy. Adding some spice, getting crazy on a Monday. I usually do that just so I don't screw it up, but here we are. I you, didn't screw it up. You kept rolling through it until you mentioned it. It's amazing. But you're uh, still going, so Did you fine. get drunk, saw, drunk off any ifs or fifths no. in uh, the weekend? No, no, I didn't. Nothing? Unfortunate. <laughs> this is going to be a fun Monday edition because we are scrambling. I had to double check that it was Monday. In fact, just now when I said that, uh, NFL free agency is happening, and then MLB free agency and uh, trade stuff is going to be happening as well. So uh, something we've talked about on the podcast a lot is the two of us, you being kind of the morning guy with Tyler Drake on our site, me being the night guy, uh, along with Jake Anderson now. We talk about Friday brain. How there are some weeks where uh, on, by Friday we're ruined. We're we're pretty there already with like five Cardinal signings already happening. Uh, the Lakers uh, producing headline after headline last <laughs> night against the Suns and NCAA March Madness coming up. Uh, we're gonna get into. I mean, cats talks coming. Mike Lisboa tweeted me like he's just in a random diner in Tennessee and they're just talking about cats talk there. They just can't stop talking about cats. We, we talk let across people the down at the end of our last pod when we were watching a, a related game and. We just left at this weird time, but you know, commercial listeners, breaks are not great for for podcasting. Yeah, li- listeners know how scatterbrained I am, so I didn't really think like, oh, this is terrible listening right now. I was just kind of <laughs> sitting there for a minute deciding what we should do, and then you we were, were the watching one. basketball and yeah, t- trying to. You do were it. the one who were like, yeah, we should be in person every time we can from now on. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That's a that's a good call. Uh, let's talk Phoenix Suns first. Because it's a Phoenix Suns podcast. Yeah, this is a good reason. <laughs> yeah, it, it's a pretty good reason. As you can tell, we're excited to talk about the Cats, but no no talk until uh, later when everyone can shut it off once we're done talking about uh, the Suns. So uh, the main thing that I kind of told you is we're looking at now, it's been five games without Cam Johnson and Chris Paul. And I think that that is, I would have to go through the timetable of injuries to make this kind of claim, but I can uh, ease it up, ease it up and for sure say that this is one of the longest stretches of the season the Suns have had so far where they've been missing two of their six best players. Um, And with that in mind, I think they've been playing pretty well, Kevin. The Toronto matchup is just, that's a really tough matchup for them, especially with, it was funny because I asked Monty pregame, yo, like everyone on their team is like 6'6 to 6'10 with long arms. So like as a coach, how does that, how does that present challenges? And he talked about a couple of different areas and one of them wasn't offensive rebounding uh, to kind of back up Monty's point even further that like there are multiple challenges that he didn't even kind of wasn't able to get to in his answer. Um, and then they run the trapping and it's just, again, everyone's got a seven, one wingspan or whatever. So if you throw a pass, a little, that's what he talked about is he's passes have got to be accurate, which is not something you hear coaches say a lot, but when everyone is so long on that team, like they are, that's the challenge that they present. The, the Bucks game, it, we all kind of knew what was coming there. Um, even then, the Suns played one. That was arguably their best effort of the season. And, and Kevin, I'm, I'm kind of saying this about the Milwaukee and the Toronto loss. I haven't even mentioned the Miami win, which is one of their best wins of the year, too. 
we look at this post All Star start and they're five and four, but it feels like they've been playing some of their best basketball of this season. To me, at least, do you ag- agree with that? And the record kind of lying for how they've been playing? Yeah, I mean. They were just rolling teams because they're better, but I think when they're presented with challenges, I don't know. It, it seems like they're playing more Phoenix Suns basketball, if that makes sense, and, and just you know the point five stuff, the ball's moving. Um, the Heat game with just ridiculous defense. I, I I didn't. I believe that probably everyone can agree that's their best defensive game. So Monty said it was one of the best defensive performances he's ever seen. Yeah, ever seen. So yeah. I mean. I think they're just really focused, and you see the things like, okay, the Miami game where, okay, Bucks game, obviously they're coming out playing against a team that has two guys who look like they're firing on all cylinders. It looks like Drew Holiday is in the finals, Chris Middleton's in the finals, and they hang right with them. Um, they just they just don't go away. Yeah, the entire time you're waiting for like the twelve two bucks run that puts them away, and it's just never. The Suns controlled that game for three quarters, mm-hmm. which was crazy. And so them going nuclear, hot shooting, whatever you want to call it, and hanging with them, like yeah, you take that. Miami, you see a team that's motivated by the last time they played Miami, um, and then the Lakers game kind of was maybe its own thing but you see a team come out locked in at least one player um Devin Booker saw the pregame comments by Anthony Davis and maybe told his teammates about it I don't know how many other people like saw them directly but he played like he cared um so I just think everything seems to be pointing to this team is not using excuses and is just right in this, I don't know what you call it, headspace where everything is clicking. Yeah, I I think that's the right way to phrase it. Um, We can get to Anthony Davis saying stupid stuff uh, before the game in a bit. (laughs) Um, Vogel is just like to, uh, just to address it right now, just because I said stupid stuff and it's going to sound like I'm a fanboy when I'm saying that from the sun side. Vogel just gave the political answer. He's like, you which is what you say in those instances. Um, Max from Sun Twitter, who's been on the show, he was on it a couple weeks ago, kind of said, like, what else is Anthony Davis supposed to say? And I disagree with Max and saying, yeah. say what Vogel said, which is, like, we can't play this if, how, when game. We can't look back on the series like that. You don't even need to talk about Chris Paul or Anthony Davis while giving your answer. You can just say kind of what Book said. I guess we'll get into it now. Yeah. The thing I've learned about covering Devin Booker is that when he wants to I don't know if want to is the right way but when he brings out the spice in one of his answers he does so in a way where he is not wrong remember um, we're in good shape for Giannis of course you're in good shape Giannis is taking an 18 footer at the end of the game that's where you want him to shoot and yes it was spicy and yes it was a grabby quote but at the same time he wasn't wrong and here he has the if ifs were a fifth we'd all be drunk um, I just think it's kind of funny, and then someone brings up, or Dwayne brings up how Monty brought up Chris Paul, and then Devin just starts laughing to himself when he hears that again. And it's like, yeah, it's it's there's some heat there with what he's saying, and he's but he's not wrong in saying, like you guys lost, take the high road, move on. You don't need to like make a comment like that. Like the Suns aren't making 
comments like that, or Devin at least is not making comments about that, about the finals. Uh, some Lakers people brought up the Monty Williams quotes about the finals, taking them out of context because Monty was not playing the, we would have won that series if Devin Booker was healthy. He was just saying Devin <laughs> Booker was not healthy during the series and he was dealing with a hamstring injury where he shouldn't have played. He said Jay shouldn't have played for certain stretches. That's all he was saying. He wasn't saying they would have won the series and that they got, that the Bucks got away with one, which is absolutely completely different than what was said here so to that point on book again in this like he's right you cannot play the ifs game in this league because in the middle in the layers of that answer is the middle part which is what i've talked about with book a million times is that he is a historian of the nba he studied it he knows what the league is like and he said for every team every season they have those ifs and not if every team's playing the ifs game, what are we doing here? Because yeah. the Orlando Magic can play the ifs game with their injuries, <laughs> Kevin, but that doesn't mean they Where's would have made Jonathan the playoffs. Isaac? They would have beat the Suns the yeah, other day. Exactly. Like It's just ridiculous. So, yeah, I mean, on top of Anthony Davis saying that an hour before they're going to play and not having the wherewithal to understand that might put his team at a disadvantage uh, is one of the many reasons why it was dumb to say that. But... I mean, no, we don't have to. I, do you want to get into like if they would have won or not? Chris Paul no. scored in single digits for half those games. I want to say with his bump shoulder. Don't it, care. No, me neither. I really. I don't. mean, it's an interesting discussion just to because I don't know who asked the question because I didn't hear that part of the audio or how it was asked. But it's an interesting discussion to say. Okay, if someone does ask that question of Anthony Davis, people are arguing whether that's a appropriate question. That's kind of not important it's important to see that what does he gain to say by saying that and there's absolutely nothing you can gain like it doesn't matter like i'm sure he thinks that that's not surprising but when you put that out there um it's a bad look when you were injured and you're still injured that's putting on your uh talking head face talking into a hard cam uh take which is injured guy talking about being injured yeah yeah. What would their record be like if you asked him what would your record be if you hadn't gotten hurt this year? He shouldn't answer that either. Guess what the Lakers don't have when LeBron James and Anthony Davis share the floor? A positive net rating this year. Yeah. Yeah. It's... I don't know. So, like, there's some philosophical, like, how to handle media, how to be media things in there. But to me, yeah, you don't piss off the other team and disrespect them even if you want to disrespect them that's fine i don't care i love trash talk but seems like a bad time that's looked a, ended that's up a great way to put a bow on it is that we love we love this to be clear yes the way i phrase it in my recap is it's a mild rivalry i wouldn't phrase it as a rivalry but there are some ingredients there for sure that i think you can concoct and kind of say like yeah there's the thing that he did on the bench with Andre Drummond and all this kind of stuff and that and then it goes from here to there and now Chris Paul's dancing now or he's not dancing he's doing the Andre Drummond thing and then Jay Crowder salsa dancing and then they put the salsa cam on the salsa dance cam on during the game tonight which was very very funny since we're on uh I wanted like to stat check that claim. By the way, I looked at it a couple weeks ago just to make sure. Negative two point six net rating when Anthony James and LeBron James when Anthony Davis and LeBron James are on the court together. Uh, one hundred six offensive rating, one hundred eight defensive rating. See, that's where I love. Speaking of the Orlando Magic, yeah, I don't. 
since we're on the Lakers topic, everyone gets mad about how much the Lakers are talked about, but I love talking about them because it's an incredible story about how a team that like they should have been to the second round at least if they were healthy probably not I know they didn't but they were a talented team last year like we can agree on that they were a really good defensive team they traded for Russell Westbrook and got rid of all their depth and what can't did we play defense now yeah what did we talk about on this podcast when that happened we were like why are they getting rid of all their good players and we're not unique to this everyone yeah. said this but it's just yeah. like incredible that like I tweeted last night and I'm not just I mean I'm kind of doing it because it's funny but like how is this front office like employed right now yeah it's crazy anyway it feels like they got to clean it's I don't know how else you phrase that other than embarrassing with the way that they were trying on defense last night it was just and it's again we're not doing the Suns people ragging on the Lakers thing like a lot of people are doing the last 24 hours we're doing the we cannot believe we're watching the Los Angeles Lakers who are the Los Angeles Lakers of the National Basketball Association with their and they high, should be ragged on yeah. high stature play defense like that it was it was hard it was the worst They're, it was the worst level of effort I've, I've seen in that building against the Suns in over a year at I mean, least over a year that's why I think we're spoiled watching good basketball now, and we remember watching bad basketball. Guys every who night. like playing with each other, who try but, hard, yeah. But like you watch the Orlando Magic, and like watching them, it's like this team's not very good, but they're fighting, they're scrappy. But then you watch the Lakers, and you're genuinely kind of insulted that it's like, why are you guys? What are we doing here? I, I can't remember. It might have been the New. Or- I think it was the New Orleans game here where I asked Monty. I was like, so we. You're playing against these teams, and we've talked about them when they've come in here, where even a team like Oklahoma City has Lou Dort, has Josh Giddy, and they play hard. Houston has Jalen Green and all these guys, them. and they play hard. And it's like they're in, with New Orleans, it was like now they have CJ McCollum and Brandon Ingram, and they play hard. Herb Jones is annoying. Yeah, yeah, so it's stuff like that. It's not something you can get away with in the league now. Maybe you could lollygag around before and make the six, seven, eight seed and past iterations of the nba right now but even the bottom half of the league is is put in has a certain culture around it right now you look at what detroit's doing right now with kate cunningham playing the way that he is let's talk about the suns here for a couple of minutes more in in that five game stretch i pulled up some numbers here over the last five games so again those are all with cam without cam johnson and chris paul Devin Booker's numbers are pretty great 25 points a game 51 percent shooting 8.7 assists per game 2.3 2.3 turnovers per game. So that is nearly a 4 to 1 assist to turnover ratio for him. Not bad. DeAndre Ayton, 22 points per game, shooting 71% from the line. Again, that is only on 14.6 shots per game. That's a couple more than he usually gets, but at the same time, it's not like they're primarily featuring him as a number two option and and to that point by the way 12 rebounds for him as well and coming off game. the Knicks game wherever he he didn't he grabbed three rebounds everyone he did was nothing, upset yeah. and he admitted I need to rebound better and he is backing up saying that to that point Kevin without these two guys on offense what have they done have they heavily relied on their top end guys no Booker is taking only 18 shots a game DeAndre 14.6 Cameron Payne 15.2 and he's averaging 17 points a game Mikel Bridges 
14 shots a game, 17 points per game. Jay Crowder, 12 shots per game, 12 points per game. He's the only guy that's not really shooting that well during this stretch, but it's still 39%, 30% from three, like what you come to expect from him in certain stretches, nothing crazy. Landry Shamit, eight shots a game, Kev. Look Ooh. at that. 11 points per game. Aaron Holiday, six shots a game, nine points per game. JaVale McGee, six shots. Torrey Craig's getting five up a game. So they're... <laughs> I want to emphasize that because the way that they're balancing that with averaging 29 assists per game over this five-game stretch, I know short sample sizes and all that, but the way that they step up, it's not even a next-man-up mentality. It's a we-have-to-do-more-together, it seems like. They are emphasizing playing together even more as opposed to one or two guys taking on the role of, I need to be the top dog now without Chris. No one's really doing that with their way they're shooting the ball. And I know there are certain people who view Devin Booker a certain way when they roll their eyes whenever they hear about him passing up shots, being a guy who plays within the flow of the offense, because yes, there are moments when he's hunting his own shots, takes heat checks, isolates a mismatch, things like that. But this is exactly what I'm talking about. He's taking 18 shots a game. In these three games they played without him, and again, those two games without him allowed the field goal attempts to get up for other guys, but with that being said, it's just a really impressive show of balance that they've had, and to close that, Kevin, what are the two things we said like need to happen still with without Chris Paul? Either Shamit or campaign team wise, like oh team wise, yeah, I don't remember Kellen. It's okay. That was that's tough on the day we've had. That's fair. Uh, play defense and oh, take care yeah. of the ball. Fourth in defensive rating, fifth in assist to turnover ratio. When looking at every team's last five games, that includes two games without Devin Booker. Um, that's great. And and yes, it's only five games, but two of them, three of them, I would argue, with the way Toronto's playing, and it looks like they're having quite the second half of the year right now. Um, three games against pretty high-caliber teams. Uh, really impressive, and why I went back to what we said at the start, which I feel like they're playing some of their best basketball of the year right now. And to go back to our original theme, this could be really beneficial for them. It looks like it's, it is beneficial for them right now. And I think something you can hit on just, oh, Milwaukee's going to switch everything. Oh, the Lakers are going to switch everything. Okay, DeAndre is going <laughs> to just have 30 points now, it didn't go as well against Toronto because they had a lot in there. They were throwing zones in there. Nick Nurse is a madman, but they're doing well, man. Yeah, and it matters having campaign back again. I think we hit this last time on the pod where you just have a guy who can kind of direct more and there's not chaos getting DA the ball in spots he wants. And it, and it seems like it's not just you know campaign feeding the post, which is an underrated part of the NBA game. You just get a post-entry pass in. But like the short rolls, getting him in that mid-paint area where it's, what, 5 to 15 feet or whatever, where he can either use that touch floater or mid-range, I, I don't... It'd be interesting if... I don't know if you can look this up, but just to see how many guys are assisting him because it feels like it's not just one person. It's Book throwing a lob. It's Mikel... Um, hitting him on the short rolls a lot and you know obviously again cam getting him into those hook shot situations so i i i think they've had more of a concerted effort to look for him and again like the raptors game that's against small ball units sometimes long players who are scrambling are going to get in those passing lanes and if it's really that different of a defense that you face maybe it's not 
his day, but they they've done a good job, I think, just being conscious that okay, we need to get the big guy a touch because like Shaq talked about it, has talked about it all the time. Like you got to feed the guy. Like go back to Steve Nash. Amari sets a good screen to get Nash loose. You know. Steve would reward him or make a point to reward him. Or if he goes 10 minutes without a shot, like good teams recognize that their bigs need a little help. And I think the Suns have done a lot better of that lately. I swear I know where the page is to find exactly what you're asking for, and I can't find it. I give up. It's That's over, okay. everyone. I know where to Take find it. Take my word too. for it. But everyone is getting him the ball. And I asked him about it last night, and I talk about the link up and the analogy that I made for FIFA Ultimate Team players out there. There's like a red a red link to a player, a yellow link to a player, a green link to a player. It's been a red link to DeAndre from anyone for a while now in terms of when he switched, when he's not front he's not running when he should he's not sealing for position when he should be. We are seeing I'm not going to say we're at a green link permanently right now, but we are seeing far more green link nights. And we saw one against Milwaukee and we saw one against the Lakers. Against the Lakers, it was 23 and 16 in 27 minutes. I mean, it's interesting because you even go back to the beginning of last season where even Chris Paul, like Chris Paul, who magically can throw lobs to anyone, even if they've been playing together for two weeks, like had trouble getting him the ball and finding his spots. And I think just DeAndre is kind of a unique player where they've found now that where he's so efficient in the short mid range and they're just kind of just now getting to okay we're gonna feed you there and getting used to that so i think maybe just it took a lot of time obviously he's still a lob threat but he's not like javel mcgee javel mcgee the lob threat um so that's just kind of been an interesting evolution where like even a guy that's that talented and big and athletic you there's a lot of nuance in how you get him the ball Really fun part in the schedule coming up. Uh, it's not this. It's not going to be for this upcoming week, but when we podcast next week, we'll be talking about a lot of these games. To provide a quick update on Cam Johnson, there is no update on Cam Johnson. For longtime listeners of the podcast in this era uh, of Suns basketball, surprise. Um, we've been asking. He's getting better every day. We don't know. Uh, he's been out for five games now. I would assume a couple of more because he was not uh, with his shooting group after practice that he's normally with, which I would assume means he hasn't been practicing still. Uh, and they play a back-to-back on the road, New Orleans and Houston. They come back to Chicago on fr- uh, to play Chicago here in Phoenix on Friday. Uh, and then they travel to Sacramento on a Sunday. And then they have Monday and Tuesday off for games. So I would assume they'll come back to Phoenix maybe Sunday night and then spend it here Monday or Tuesday. This is where it gets fun. Back-to-back on the road, Minnesota and Denver. Come back here to play. That's a Wednesday, Thursday. Come back here and play the Sixers on Sunday. And then they play on the road against Golden State on on a Wednesday. And then on the road against Memphis on a Friday. That might be be their toughest five-game stretch in terms of not travel and like overall five-game stretch. But in terms of looking at the opposition, those are five straight playoff teams. Those are five playoff teams in a row. And you could argue three contenders when you look at Philadelphia, Golden State, and uh, Memphis. That'll be great. I think that's what everyone is. It's nice to see Suns fans kind of in agreement where 
everyone is in the same kind of mindset of I want to see the team be tested. I want to see these regular season games really push them, and we're gonna, we're going to get that for sure. We saw that on the East Coast road trip, and we're going to see it here again, um, coming forward. I hate magic number stuff because I'm always worried the math's bad. But oh, uh, we're we're, we're good on that. They're like at seven or something. So the Golden State Memphis games, I'm just saying, there's about seven or so games out are might might be clinching type stuff i think they might even clinch before then they could also clinch before then yeah yeah golden state and memphis haven't exactly been playing lights out basketball for the past two months in a way that they needed to to catch the suns because the suns played lights out basketball for so long basketball references percentages which we talked about a ton last year because we were trying to look at who has the odds to get seven eight nine ten and all that stuff that's even kind of cemented now because teams have been talking about can the Lakers fall out of the play-in, and it's like they can't because no one else is rising up. It's on Portland who has Anthony Simons and a G League <laughs> roster, so I, that's not going to happen because Eric Bledsoe, Joe Ingles, and all those guys are rehabbing. Um, so we'll, we'll wait and see, but they, those basketball reference numbers, that 99.9% chance for the Suns to get the one seed, so they're, they're going to get it. Thank you for listening to the Empire of the Suns podcast. That concludes this episode. If you want to hear about the Arizona Wildcats basketball team for another rousing segment that I'm actually looking outside, Kevin, in the parking lot. There's a man holding up a sign right now that says, we want cats talk. What? You won't believe it. He's he's right there. Go confirm for the people. He's there. Yep. Oh, my goodness. I see him. There he is. He's not lying. So, I mean, we just got to give it to the people. So... Uh, adios if you only care about the Suns we don't blame you at all if you're still hanging around for what America craves which is cats talk here we are if you can't tell I'm being incredibly sarcastic there's no man outside in the parking lot but you did get up to play with the bit visually when you didn't have to which I really do appreciate I I imagined it Um, I am dead inside Kirkreese's ankle looks like (laughs) about seven different colors he posted a video or a, a photo rather they have the number one seed. They win the Pac-12 tournament. Their uh, region we'll get to in a bit and kind of talk about. I, I did some quick number diving on Seton Hall and TCU, which is the 8-9 game. They'll play the winner there. You're shaking your head. It won't matter. Doesn't I agree. Matter. Um, I think to kind of have a base conversation, this isn't the same one we had a kind of a couple weeks ago. What do you think is the biggest problem without Kirk Risa? Let's start there. One less shooter. I'm okay with their playmaking. They're a good passing team. Ben Matherin, by the way, has... I feel like he's like a top 10 lock now, right? Like He's got to be. He's starting to do playmaker stuff where they're doing high pick and rolls, which the past coach at Arizona never did. I don't know if it's because of college, but apparently you can do it in college, and he's looking good making decisions. Um. So I think they're fine there, but the problem is sometimes they go with two bigs, and you guys know how we feel about that here. And it's just you got to have the right shooters on. And just losing one shooter, let's see, who do they have? If Dalen Terry's running point, he's not a shooter, but he's been fine lately. His shot's terrible looking, but he can knock one down per game maybe. But yeah, that's my concern. Not enough shooting. That could bite them. 33% 33% from three uh, for Dale and Terry. The big one to, for Kirk Risa, for me, Kevin, is in college basketball, I think something that I look for is not teams that shoot the three ball well. It's how many guys get up a lot of threes. 
They only have two guys who have attempted over 100 threes per game. It is Matherin at 197, and then their leader is Kirk Kreese at 221 because he's a lunatic. He will shoot at any time. And I think I, it was Jay Billis, I think, who was just – he said a line where he's like, yeah, Kreese is just an outstanding shooter, can get it off at any time. And I was like, he's wrong for sure he's wrong. Yeah, that, he's, that is not he's correct. He's like a 34% shooter, right? But but, but yeah. he is kind of right because he shoots at any angle, at any time, in any situation, and not a lot of guys, not even the fortitude, the chutzpah, the balls to shoot that. It's just more of technique and being ready to shoot in those elements, and he clearly is. 221 three-point attempts. I don't know he if takes, I said that number. He takes 7.1 threes per game he takes like 8.4 8.7 com- total shots per game what a madman to your point uh Kyer, 92 larson 82 terry 70 Tubelis 36 so you need a lot of lineups with Kyer and larson in there and it doesn't spell well for how much Tubelis is going to play i still stand by my take that i think when everyone's playing like their best i think Tubelis is their best player which is another way of saying i think he's underperformed this year um, I think he's supremely skilled and is, is kind of exactly what they need. To your point on Kreisa and what they miss with him, he is their best dribble guy. That's my hot take. I think that he is a better dribble guy than Matherin because of the passes that he can make and the rhythm that he has with pick and roll. Matherin is at that stage of NBA intrigue where it's, oh, yeah. he, he can play pick and roll. Kreese is good at pick and roll. And so when you're playing two centers and you try and work the high-low game for 12 seconds and it doesn't work, what happens is someone gets the ball and then a ball screen starts. That's usually Kreisa in those circumstances. So not only is Kreisa missing in that spot, but because Kreisa is out, you're playing six guys, which means you're playing more two big lineups, which is where your spacing isn't as good. And that means you're going to play even more of those minutes where you need Kreisa's playmaking. And again... A guy who's averaging 4.9 assists per game, so it's not and any it, incredibly high number. He doesn't really go into the paint very much, so mm-hmm. to get that many assists is, yeah, he's good. He's he's a very underrated player. And the way that, that, that I phrase their team and what we can kind of get into now in terms of what we're looking for in terms of the opposition against them, I think that the number one thing for me, the team that they're facing, has to have star power. And look... If it's Ali Farouk Manesh scoring 30 or whatever, some no-name guy we've never heard of, I'm talking that kind of star power where we don't know it right away. But you need some kind of freak individual performance, I think. Not to beat this team necessarily, but you need to have that element to your team if you need it. Because I tweeted it during the UCLA game, Matherin scored 27 in the Pac-12 title game, and Coloco was their best player, without yeah. a doubt. It was not close. Shout out to you. His freshman year, the guy averaging three points per game or whatever. Just look at him. And you're just sitting there on Twitter being like, can I buy (laughs) as much stock as possible on this man? And now he looks like he's going to be, not only is he a great college center right now, I think he's going to be a great NBA center too, just with the way that he moves his feet specifically defensively and has a feel for that kind of stuff like I talked about last week. Go watch the man they were pressing the other day, and he's double teaming like past half court running back to cover a corner three guy helping when the ball goes to the other corner three guy who drives getting back on the corner three guy and then like getting the rebound like i don't know he's he's freak 
to the original conversation point I was getting to. Sorry. No, that was me. <laughs> I, I was the one who took us off course. You can't bait me there, yeah. No, I, I took us off course. That was me. I think that Kyer and Larson have only been better since this injury, and I think Larson was a guy when we podcasted, had his sort of ascent, and I think Kyra is playing his best basketball since Kreisa got hurt. So I really do think there are games where they've got five guys. Again, I'm not going to go to the... Or they've got six guys. I'm not going to go to the seven or the eight or whatever like I would. I'm not going to include Balo in there unless they're playing a team that's small. I'll preface there. Where even Balo, who frustrated the heck out of me in the UCLA game, he had six blocks in that game. So I will I will be kind and include him in the conversation point I'm getting to, which is if you don't have like a lot of high end talent, they have it would be seven guys now, correct? They have seven, they have guys, seven guys. They have seven guys who can be their best player on any given night. I really do think that Larson and Kyer have gotten there in the last couple of weeks, and I think in the right matchup, and it has been consistent enough where Ballo has had seven or eight games this year where he was either their best player, second best player, third best player, whatever. And that is on a team with a guy who's going to go top ten in the draft, a guy who's probably going to go in the first round of the draft, and someone like Tubelis, who I believe is their best overall player. Going to be a first-round pick in a few years. And Dale and Terry, the do-it-all wing guy. It, there's still yeah. three other guys after that without Kerr Kreisa. So when, if Kerr Kreisa plays in the second round, they've got eight. So you need to have that sort of high-end talent across your team. You just have to have a really well-rounded four, five, six guys, or you need to have a one or a two. I'm looking at Villanova. They've got two guards averaging 15 points per game, for example. You need to have some firepower to go because the odds of – it's just, I, I like to make things simple as listeners know, the odds of two or three of those guys not having a great game is just really low. At least two or three of those guys are going to play pretty well. And odds are it's going to be five or six of them. Like the UCLA game, Dalen Terry was their third best player and he was unreal. He was terrific. Here's a way to frame it. Um, Tommy Lloyd was asked... He was on Bickley and Murata this morning, and he was asked, like, when did you kind of know about this team? He's like, well, when I met them, they're all good friends. They take coaching well. I could tell they really cared. Um, they practice well. But then, like, when they played Michigan, which is was a top-five team when they played them and is now a number 11 seed, he's like, once they got on the court against Michigan and basically, like, ran them to heck and just looked like the superior basketball team, like, physically in terms of basketball skill, too – then I kind of knew, like, do you think Terry's a future NBA prospect? Like, if he learned how to shoot, added a few pounds? I think so. So that, what, brings them to four guys who could potentially play in the NBA? I I just think it's a talented top end of the team, but I guess the top end is, like, four possible NBA guys. So when I look at it like that, I'm like... Yeah, they're going to – I don't know. I, I wouldn't put money on them to lose in the first few rounds is all I'm saying. Things happen, but I, – I would be very surprised, and I think that they got a pretty good draw stylistically from what I looked at. Um, there's a couple of resources that we use a lot, me and you. Hoop Math is one where they provide – some really good numbers on, okay, how much do they score at the rim? How much of those are assisted? And that for two-point jumpers, three-point jumpers, and then they're just overall offensive efficiency. 
defense is sort of a mixed bag. So in the second round, uh, the first round, I mean, what? who cares? Um, the, the real second round, even if the, the yeah. first round starts tonight, who cares? Um, Seton Hall or TCU? Similar no teams. No clue. Both top 25 in defense on Ken Palm or top 30, something like that, which is what you need as a starting point against this team. I think you need to be able to defend or they will rip you apart. The problem is they are train wrecks offensively in terms of what you could expect in terms of a giant killer. TCU is top 50 in shots at the rim, which is good. They generate shots at the rim. They do not convert well. They're 151st in terms of out of like 350 teams, so they're average at finishing at the rim. Coloco and Balo in there, that doesn't add up well. You're shaking your head already. Uh, Here's a huge problem, Kevin. They're a really good defensive team. They don't run. They don't play in transition. Oh. Uh, you need to do that against this team because, again, set defense against them. You do not want to play their set defense. Well, maybe if they like pass the ball around and like they can turn up threes, they don't take threes and they don't hit threes well. I think they were 30% from three TCU was, which is one of the worst rates in the country. The number one thing that I'm looking at, Kevin, to go back to um, – there's checklists of like what you need to beat them. Size, for sure, is one. You're just going to get dominated inside on the offensive glass and all that kind of stuff. Neither of these teams really has like much size, I think. It, they, they might have a bit, but not an overwhelming amount like they do. You need to take care of the ball. Uh, TCU has their 315th in the country in terms of the percentage of their plays that they turn over. Seton Hall is in a, is in a much better position, who is the team in the other spot. They're 76th, which is pretty good. Um, but they're awful at shooting at the rim, assisting those shots. Uh, they are 341st in the country in assists per game. It's not going to happen. It's just don't not going to dribble ha- against. Yeah, yeah, it's just not going to happen. It, so I don't see anything in terms of what we're talking about for this Did week. Did you check before. on Wright State and Bryant? No, didn't do a courtesy check on them. Mm-mm. No, I refuse. <laughs> there are limits, Kevin. We have, and and that is one of them. It, w- it would be the day is only so long. I, this isn't Virginia, dog. Like they're gonna. They have too many. There's too much on the court for yeah. that to happen. Um, I I refuse. And you can play this over and over again, Arizona State fans, if it happens, but <laughs> it doesn't. I looked around and really weird region draw, Kevin. Mm-hmm. Michigan, Illinois, and Tennessee. Who Arizona's all already played out of conference or in their region, which I can't remember that ever happening for an Arizona team. I don't. In terms of the Rolodex that they I'm going always, through? Yeah, they always try to... I thought they care about steering away from that, but they might not care. Ten- notice. Tennessee was incredible from three. Just, I think, firepower-wise, Tennessee is the team I look at more with their shooting and just what they brought as like a team and the energy that they had. I was more impressed by them by Illinois, and I was impressed by Illinois still. Illinois shot well, too. Illinois shot well as well. Uh, Michigan, I didn't, I didn't see that game. But they that was shoot, when Coloco, yeah. their main dude is yeah. the, their main dude. He's one of the guys we talk about where like if he has a huge impact. But Coloco swallowed him whole. He also swallowed uh, Kirby style on homeboy from Illinois, Coburn. <laughs> that was rough. So I don't really see it. Colorado State is the sixth seed. I looked at them. They're efficient in all areas of the court. The hoop math numbers I'm talking about. The problem is they have their two leading rebounders are six five and six three. I think it's not good, uh, and they're not good defensively. They're ninetieth or Arizona's so on Ken Palm and defense. Yeah, and that's when just Dale and Terry NBA sized wing Tubelis 
NBA sized four, Coloco NBA sized five, Ballo NBA sized five, Larson NBA sized wing, Matherin NBA sized guard. It's they'll just get eaten alive, I think, by like the size and overwhelmed. But I will say the Colorado State is a team to watch out for just because they shoot well at the rim, they shoot well on two point jumpers, and they shoot well on threes. They're just an efficient offense. They don't really get anything. They don't emphasize anything, which is actually a good sign more often than not because it means you're not relying on something. Their assist numbers were kind of whatever, though. Uh, so I, I don't know. I, I looked at them as a six seed. Houston as a five seed was a scary one because on Kempom, they're fourth <laughs> overall, but they're missing their best player, and it sounds like he's out for the rest of the season. He said something. I saw a quote where he was like, yeah, I could return maybe, but... They're a team that made the Final Four last year. They have a couple of pieces coming back from that team. They do a lot of things well, but they're missing their best player, and then it's just a bunch of savvy. That's where the balance is. So I think Houston is, if I had to root for one team, for them not to play before likely Villanova in the Elite Eight, because it's freaking Villanova. Yeah. I'm just going to, I don't want to talk about a Villanova team. We've talked about Mikel enough on this podcast and Villanova teams. Um, I'd be watching out for Houston just because they have the experience in the tournament and they have balance from what I was reading. I, I have not seen any of these Do teams you play, buy, <laughs> to be clear. Did we ask this last time, Do you or two times ago, do you buy experience in NCAA yeah. tournament games matters because mm-hmm. Omar Ball is the only dude who has that on Arizona? Yes. Okay. It is my only concern with this team. Okay. I don't even have concerns about the two-center lineup playing without Creasa until the third week. I'm not even concerned about that. Um, I am concerned about experience for sure. I will say when I was watching their games, the really intense games they had on the road against Illinois, against Tennessee, um, I don't know where Michigan was. Was that a neutral site? Vegas. Okay. Neutral site. The Pac-12 tournament felt like an NC. That felt like an Elite Eight Final Four game. They thrived they re- in those environments. They respond well to adversity. They respond extremely well to adversity and also just environments yeah. in general. So that makes me think that they'll be fine, but we got to see it because I told you um, Danny's theory, Danny Shapiro in our office, his working theory is that they're going to get in that game that every tournament has where eight minutes left, 12 minutes left, six minutes left, two minutes left, whatever point in the second half it is, the next three minutes will decide if they're in the tournament or not because the other team is doing the Middle Tennessee State, (laughs) um, Cornell, whoever, plucky 14 (laughs) seed. Sometimes it's a nine seed, a five seed where they're playing and hitting shots shots that are going in you know when a 3 or a, a 3 or 2 goes down and you're like oh are they going to win this game mm-hmm. that next 3 minutes is what often decides if teams stay in the tournament or get upset and his theory is they'll crumble when that comes i worry if it comes in the second round until i saw the Seton Hall and TCU numbers and now i'm not even concerned at all wow because I think Creesa has to be out there, which is crazy because he's the maniac and the lunatic who you think would unravel and unhinge in those moments, but I actually think they need him in those he moments. He might be healthy by the second game. He I, thinks so. I don't believe a word that... I, he, I mean, did you see... Yeah. I don't believe a word he says in terms of just his effectiveness. I believe that he will be out there, but can he walk? I don't know. You need to. Yeah. Can he run? How is his lateral movement? All that kind of stuff. The thing is, it might be one of those instances where it is like that and he just plays through it anyway and doesn't even move like that because he's a, I keep saying it, he's a crazy person. Yeah. Estonians, man, do not. I keep telling everyone he's my only exposure to anything Estonia. And so we're talking about just your first meeting of an Estonian. Yeah. I just assume they're all like that. 
Yeah, my I'm pulling up the uh, a world map here just to make sure I'm talking about the same kind <laughs> Place. of uh, places, which I am. Oh. I have a buddy who uh, is kind of uh, has family in Croatia and stuff, and it's uh, Estonia is further north of that for sure. Mm-hmm. But you're talking Lithuania, Latvia. Still, he's he just tells me all the time whenever uh, someone like Alex Lang comes in from Ukraine, he's like Eastern Europeans, man, like that those kinds of people have been through everything and they're the toughest he always tells me those are the toughest people in the league the guy the eastern europeans so yeah uh that's that that qualifies which is why kirk is a lunatic on the court because they they don't mess around over there what a what a session of cats talk kev we got to be approaching like sponsorships from from just FanDuel and just everything, you know. Just that guy still in. is he giving you a thumbs up? Thank you for the cat's talk. You he just... saw me look at him twice and then just not acknowledge him, so he flipped me off and drove off. <laughs> I was keeping an eye on it to make sure he actually left and wasn't going to wait outside the building to beat one of us up because our cat's talk fans are just built different. They are. Thanks so much for listening. If you're still listening, uh, it's like I said, we we are okay with everyone turning it off. But if you're still here. We really do appreciate that because, again, this is just for Kevin and I. We don't know how many really, really great, awesome U of A, t- as, as every fan should approach Kevin, mentality-wise. Joe Borgay and I were talking about this because his lovely Pittsburgh Steelers signed Mitchell Trubisky. I was like, you just never know when you're going to get the great quarterback, so you got to, like, you got to... Could be now. Admire it when you have it, you know? Yeah. And right now with the Arizona teams, like, is the Tommy Lloyd dynasty starting? I don't know, but... Every year they have a really, really, really good team. I want to soak it in. And we can do it on podcast for 20 minutes a week. That's pretty sweet. So we thank everyone for Cats Talk. Cats Talk, which will be back next week. Hopefully for more weeks after that, or else <laughs> I will be an emotional wreck until the postseason starts for the Suns. See you, everyone. We'll be back next week.